0: for the former things have passed away and he who was seated on the throne said i am making all things new also he said write this down for these words are trustworthy and true and he said to me it is done i am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end to the thirsty i will give from the spring of the water of life without payment the one who conquers will have their heritage and I will be his God, and he will be my son. This is the word of the Lord. Praise to
1: Thanks, Jeff. <clears throat> okay, um, so we are uh, actually going to be jumping back. If you've been around uh, Sojourn for, for a while, um, you might know that in the uh, mid, uh, midsummer, uh, throughout the rest of the summer into the fall, uh, we were in a series called "The Story of Stories," and uh, what we did during that series was we were we were tracing this this grand story uh, of God and a recognition that on the pages of the Bible there is this one single grand story that is unfolding. <clears throat> you, you know, it's easy to think of the Bible as a collection of stories, and that's true too. There's all kinds of little stories uh, you find in various books of the Bible or various chapters of the Bible. Uh, But all of those stories are moving us um, within this one big grand narrative, this one big story. And one of the fun things that we did along the way uh, was that we shared uh, various uh, of your stories and this recognition that God is at work in the world and we get this one story on the pages of the Bible. But then we find out that we're part of that story. And that our own stories and our own journeys dovetail with this incredible work that God is doing uh, on, on this earth, in the world. And so we got uh, time and time again to, to see video snapshots of, of, of you, uh, many of you, as you were willing to open up your life uh, and share all of those stories are on our YouTube page, and uh, we'd love for you to, to, to catch up on those if you haven't seen all of them. And as things have unfolded, we actually have a couple more that are kind of in the queue. So even though um, they're not going to be directly associated with this series, uh, we have a couple stories that are still to come. But when we think about this story of God, we started where uh, at the beginning of the Bible, where you would normally start in the book of Genesis, and uh, what we saw is that God created this world and everything was right. It was full of shalom, uh, peace, a flourishing in every direction. Everything worked right. Uh, but just a couple chapters into the Bible, we see that God's crown of his creation, Adam and Eve, instead of obeying God and instead of trusting God, they did their own thing. They ran off and, and, and trusted themselves. And when they did that, they, they brought, uh, th- that was rebellion against God, and they brought sin into the world. And God sits down with them in chapter three and he says, it's, I, I told you not, not to do that. Now you've done it. Let, let me tell you, it's, it's going to be worse than you think. And in Genesis chapter three, God begins to reveal the severity of what sin is going to do uh, to this beautiful world. Uh, sin is going to bring death. Death means separation. Separation from God is the ultimate, most fundamental sense of that separation, but it's also separation from each other, human to human, separation from human and the rest of creation, separation within our own selves. We, we have uh, dis- disorientation. We often try to figure out who we are, what's going on in our heads, what's, what's going on with our hearts, me- mental illness, all, all of the challenges that we face. And so chapter three of Genesis reveals that this sin has broken into the world. This world's now been vandalized and it's going to get Really bad. And the most fundamental sense of that badness is that humans have been um, uh, separated from the God of heaven, the source of all life. Well, what happens after that? Uh, right as God is talking, right as He is telling them the severity of all of this, He, he whispers something. He, he includes, He slips in, in, in the middle of Genesis chapter 3, He slips in this little promise that he was going to, from the seed of Eve, from the offspring of Eve, someone was going to come, an offspring of Eve, who would crush Satan. And Bible scholars look at that and they say, that's the first gospel. In Genesis chapter 3, in the midst of all this bad news, there's a whisper, there's a promise. God says, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to send someone from the seed of Eve to fix it. And as we went through this series, what we began to realize is that all of these little stories in the Bible are various ways of showing us that through all the ups and downs, God keeps that promise. Time and time again, it looks like it's not going to work out. It looks like the line of Eve is going to get wiped out, and time and time again, God comes through, and so through, through, uh, Ab- uh, through Eve's uh, biological sons, her own children, we see it. Then we see it in Noah, and then Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. We see it in the nation of Israel, the kings that they had, the prophets, the priests, we see the nation of Israel going into exile and being cared for in exile and being rescued out of exile. We, we see all of these stories, and they're all revealing that God keeps, keeps working to keep the line of Eve alive. We get to the end of the Old Testament, and uh, if you were here that Sunday, you know, we basically said by the end of the Old Testament, we're demoralized, and, and it's, it would be appropriate to be demoralized. God has preserved the, the seed of Eve, but things are a mess. His people are a train wreck. They can never obey. They say they'll obey, but they never do. God gives them priests and kings and prophets. He gives them the word of the, his own word from his mouth to them, and they can't do it. It's, it's a mess. No matter how hard they try, they can't actually obey God. And the results of the sin that flooded in in Genesis chapter 3 seem to be compounding. It seems to be getting worse, and now God's own people are a train wreck, and it's, it's, uh, it is demoralizing. Then the Old Testament ends, and we end up with 400 years of silence. Man couldn't fix it, but then you turn to the New Testament, and in the first pages of the first Gospels, what we read about is the fact that while man couldn't fix it, God himself says, I'll fix it, and so God takes on a human body The second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, comes and takes on a human body and lives on this earth. And he lives the life that you and I should have lived, but then goes and dies the death that you and I deserve. He he comes to actually fix the problem that showed up in Genesis chapter 3. This problem of sin that no matter how hard humans worked, we couldn't fix it. And so Jesus comes, and as Jesus goes to the cross... He dies there as a payment for sin. He's buried. And then three days later, he gloriously rises again. And when he does, he crushes sin and Satan and all of our enemies. And there's this evidence, there's this moment where you realize that God is keeping his promise. That that Jesus, who is in the line of Eve, in the seed of Eve, has actually crushed Satan. Well, then we saw that it even gets better. After Jesus rises again, he spends a few weeks with his followers, but then he says to them, I'm going to leave. And I know you might not like hearing that, but it's good that I go, because if I go, then I can send the Spirit to be with you. And that, come, and that spirit is going to come, and that spirit is going to dwell in you, and that spirit is going to do work in you. It's going it's to bring your heart to life when you put your faith in me. It's going to convict you of sin. It's going to teach you all things. It's going to comfort you. This, this Holy Spirit is going to be at work in a, in a way <clears throat> that is so pervasive that Jesus actually says the spirit in you is better than Jesus beside you. That's hard for us to believe sometimes. I think if we were voting, we'd rather say, I'd rather have Jesus here. But Jesus says, no, it's actually good that the spirit is here because Jesus was in a body and he was in a specific location. The spirit of God is with every Christian all over the globe. It's absolutely incredible. And then we saw that that God had a plan for all of these people who put their faith in Jesus, who the spirit of God indwells. God had a plan for them. He calls it the church. And we, we, we realize that Jesus isn't just saving individuals, he's saving a people. This, this collection, this, this called out group of people who have actually all together placed their faith in Jesus. And God says, I, I, have, a, I have a new identity that I want to give you, and I, I want you to live it out, live it out in the street where you live, where you work, live, where you play, I want you to be, be my witnesses all over the world. I want you to take this gospel to, to every square inch of the earth, to every human heart. And so we, we looked at the church and then we, took, we, we just paused and said, okay, if God's plan is the, the, the church everywhere, the, the people of God that he has called to himself, uh, there's these local manifestations of the church. They're called local churches. And so we're a local church. So if God has this grand plan for his church, what, what, what does it look like here? What does it look like at 1027 McCray Hill Road? What does it look like in Sojourn, uh, at Sojourn Church? And we've spent the last five weeks kind of exploring that question. We spent some time uh, thinking through the building blocks of what it is that we are as a church and how it is that we think and what it is that we've prioritized. And then last week it culminated with some conversation about our mission and our strategy. And I'm not going to rehearse all of that, but if you weren't here, we did release some, some new uh, mission language, And, 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 and this is our, our statement that we pray serves us for the season ahead. Sojourn exists to help people follow Jesus. You know that is compelling, it's memorable, it's simple. It's four words. Help people follow Jesus. And that's what we want to be about as a church. Um, We spend some time talking about our our strategy and and providing a a pathway for people to explore and then respond to the good news about Jesus. And so I would encourage you, uh, you know, there's a a little map out there in the foyer, a little compass. Uh, We handed them out last Sunday. And if you weren't here, uh, feel free to grab those. They're just little things to help us remember what we're trying to pursue um, and I would encourage you to go listen to the last week's sermon, or uh, you can watch it, watch it on YouTube as well. But we want to spend the rest of our time focused on the final chapter now of the story of stories. So we traced that story all the way up through the church, then we paused and said, what about our church? And now we're coming and saying, how does it end? If, if God has this group of people that he's called out, and 2,000 years ago, he said, I want you to take the gospel to the whole world, and that's what's been happening for the last 2,000 years is that God's people have been doing just that. Then how does the story end? We're going to spend a little bit of time here looking at the eternal kingdom. Uh, you heard Jeff read just a moment ago from Je- uh, Revelation chapter 21. And in the first verse of Revelation 21, it says, Then I saw, this is the, uh, the apostle John, is the author of, of Revelation. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So, it says the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. What what does that mean? It's recognizing that there is something coming. There's this eternal kingdom, this this future reality. He he references it in the first part of the verse. A new heaven and a new earth. But then he says the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So there is something, some things that are not going to be part of the eternal kingdom. John says, when 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 God gave me this this vision of the future, there was something that passed away. There's something that, that doesn't move forward, that isn't part of the eternal kingdom. This hasn't happened yet in the year 2022. So what is it that John says will pass away? Well, he says the heaven and earth with all of its brokenness, this heaven and earth, this World. That's what John's talking about. The world as it is right now is going to pass away. He's talking about everything that doesn't align with God's good way. And have you noticed our world is full of that stuff? It's full of it. What, what, what is our world like? Well, you know, on, on the one hand, our world is full of incredible things to experience. You know something as simple as, as sports. If, if you like football, you know yesterday was an incredible day of enjoyment, of just of just wa- watching football games and, and super close football games and last second field goals and just like things to enjoy and to celebrate. And if you are with friends and you know high fives and hugs and so, it, it, a gift like that, we get to experience stuff like that on this on this earth. The snow. You know, that, it, it, that, is, that is beautiful. We, we didn't have a lot to do yesterday. And so because we didn't have a lot to do, we just got to look out the window and enjoy the snow. We, we got to see it falling and, and covering everything. And uh, I mean, I, I, I had to shovel a few times, but it was, it was a beautiful day to be inside and, and, to, and to, watch, to watch that snow and to see it fall. Uh, in the summers, we have some of the greatest weather and some of the greatest sunsets and you have some beautiful relations in, relationships in your life. Uh, if you think of just the category of food, that when you sit down to eat, that the experience of eating good food, that, that, that the world exists in a way to where your taste buds experience those kinds of things, where, where you, get, you, you get to actually enjoy that kind of food, In a few days, you might step it up a little bit for Thanksgiving and make your favorite dishes or make traditional dishes. And and, and so many of those things are just incredible to taste. Such a gift that we live in a world that has these kinds of incredible things to experience. But on the other hand, have you noticed that it's always sprinkled with, with, with hard things and with broken things and with bad things? as many incredible things as there are to experience in the world, I I think it's right to say that there's more bad things going on, more more brokenness, more hardship. There's just evidence that something, it's it's just not right. You know, in Genesis 3, we are told that Adam and Eve's actions would bring death, would bring separation, would bring fragmentation. And boy, has it ever. We, We live in a world that is full of death, Death from all kinds of causes. Death from murder. Maybe you heard, but last night there was another shooting. Uh, five, five, last I heard, five people dead and 18 people injured. Seems like those things are happening at, at higher frequencies. So death through murder, death through old age, death through abortion, death through sickness. But not just death. Our world is, is full of illness and accidents and conflict and violence and greed, and envy, and gossip, and bitterness, and deceit, evil. Our, our world is, is full of it. You know, there's a song that we sing sometimes. It's like, do you feel the darkness? Do you feel the darkness? Do you, do you feel the brokenness? Don't you long for it all to be made new? See, this brokenness also includes loss. Just loss of so many things, so many things, including good things. You know, my oldest daughter is uh, off in Ohio going to college, and she's coming home for Thanksgiving, so we're all thrilled about that. But my daughter is in college. You know, doesn't it go so fast? You know, our family feels like we lost a decade somewhere in there. I find myself literally wanting 2012 back. You know, like we want her back, not just back in T.C., but we want her childhood. Can you can you relate to those emotions of just like time and it going so fast? Uh, There's a song by a a girl. I don't know anything about her, so I I don't have any idea. Her name is J.J. Heller. But um, uh, a, a year ago, I was I come in early on Sunday mornings and I usually turn on music and there's playlists on our Spotify page that I typically play. And I know what are on those, those playlists. And as the time went by, I'm walking in here to get a cup of coffee and there's a song playing I've never heard before. And I went back and I restarted the song and it's a song by this lady named J.J. Heller. And it's called Learning to Let You Go. And uh, if you know the song, you might know that um, uh, like it just led me to a pile of tears, literally. And I'm not that much of a crier, I don't think. Um, but that song, just I just cried, cried my eyes out. And, and there's a couple sections that, 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 that can relate to, to this. So the, the little part of the song says, When you were small, your problems were solved with a hug and a kiss and a Band-Aid. But it's not easy now, and you'll figure it out. Though I wish I could save you from heartache. Man, if you're a parent... I think you know about that. And then uh, a little bit later in the song, it says, I got to be honest. This might be the hardest thing I've had to do. It feels like the future came too soon. Like the future came too soon. Like that's the experience of life here. Um, I, somebody shared once with me this little thing. And they said, there's a time coming where your kid is going to ask you for a... Uh, piggyback ride and it'll be the last time they ask you but neither of you know it and it's just like how fast it goes but it's not just raising kids it's um, there's a whole lot of things um, that, that we experience this with I mean think about your appearance <laughs> you know your appearance is usually a, a downhill journey um, if, if, if it's just—it's just the reality of it. Um, your, your mobility, you know. I—I um, I, uh, I don't have anything against our current president necessarily, but he did an interview not that long ago, and they asked him about his age, and he said, "There's nothing I can—I can, I can't. If there's nothing I look back at and say, I used to be able to do that, but I can't now." And I'm like, "What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm 46, and I've got a long list of things that I can't do that I used to do." And so it's like this sense of, like, loss, and it's slipping away. It's just a reality of the world in which we live. So our appearance, our mobility, our cognitive abilities, this is the reality of the world. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, sin broke into the world, and it said that death was going to come immediately. Well, it wasn't physical death that came immediately, it was, it was the fragmentation. It was the separation of the world from the source of life. And that's, that's what we experience. That's, that's why, as this life goes on, it is often full of hardship. You know, aging can feel like a journey of, of constant loss. In a world that's broken, you know, the, the longer that you're here, the more hard things you'll endure. I mean, that, that's just logical in this world. Think about it. If you go on a, if you have a surgery, the longer the surgery lasts, the more potential there is for something to go wrong with the surgery. If you go on a, on a trip, the longer the trip is, the more percentage chance there is that something's going to go wrong on the trip. And the longer you live, you know, the longer your life is, the more potential there is for something to go wrong. You know, you, you'll attend more funerals in the back half of your life than you did in the front half of your life. This is the heaven and earth as it is right now. That's this current uh, heaven and earth. That's this current world. And boy, does it ever make us long for something more. Next Sunday begins the season of Advent. And Advent means coming. But naturally, built into that idea of coming is this sense of longing, of, of waiting And so when we walk through the season of Advent, we're doing a couple things. One, we're putting ourselves in the shoes of the Jewish people who were waiting and waiting and waiting for the Messiah to come the first time. And so we relive those themes and we think about what would it be like to be a Jew in in those years when the, the Messiah had been promised for so long and he still hadn't come. That's one thing we're doing. But another thing we're doing is putting ourselves in our own shoes. And we're actually recognizing that the world in which we are in right now, this moment, the year 2022, we're waiting. We're we're waiting for the Messiah to come a second time. We're we're waiting for the Messiah to come. That's a promise too. And it hasn't happened yet. And so here we are in this place of longing, of, of waiting. The Messiah hasn't returned yet. So we wait and we wait in full awareness of what actually is happening in the real world. The author Fleming Rutledge put on Twitter the other day that Advent is not for sissies. And she actually said, the stuff I see being recommended for Advent readings is often like Hallmark cards. And she actually recommended some secular books that are that are like all about the end of the world or these apocalyptic kind of situations. And her suggestion is: you need to feel it. You you need to feel what's going on, what we're waiting for. Why is is the second advent? The first advent is Jesus coming the first time. Why is the second advent so important? Because look at this place. It's hurting, they're suffering. And you might be feeling that more uh, than, than right now than you normally do. It should stir hope, but hope in the face of hard realities. As we walk through Advent, man, we're anticipating, but it's in the face of hard things. And the invitation is don't ignore that. Don't, don't try to act like the hard things don't exist. Don't try to hide from it. Don't stick your head in the sand. Own it. Own it for what it is and long For something more. I think that longing kind of comes naturally. You know, C.S. Lewis, uh, in one of his books, he talks about the fact that if, if you find yourself longing for something that this world cannot fulfill, then maybe that's the best evidence that you were made for a different world. So John starts off by saying, something's passing away. And what is passing away? Well, it's this world. It's this heaven and this earth. Look again at Revelation 21. So you got these, these seven verses here that we read, but this, this whole text, you got John, the apostle John, and he's getting a vision of the future. He's getting a vision of the end of time, the end of history. And what does he see at the end of history? What, what is at the climax, at the end of history? He does not see individual souls rising up and escaping from this material world leaving earth and going to some heaven up in the sky. What, what you see is heaven coming down. You, you, you see heaven coming down and transforming the earth. John, John sees a world remade, a world made new, all the goodness and none of the brokenness. And this plays off of some Old Testament promises. Isaiah 65 would be one place where you could find them. And, and they are promises of a new, of a remade world. And it's finally being realized right here. And God allowed John to, to, to look into the future and, and to see this. New Testament scholar Tom Schreiner said that when, 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 when you read uh, Revelation 21 1, it says that the world, the, you know, the, um, that the first world, and the first earth, and the first heavens passed away. He says that does not mean that the old is blotted out of existence, but that it is purified, that it's renewed. Second Peter chapter 3 talks about it like this. That the new heaven and the new earth is a renewed and transformed version of this world. It's it's this world. It's just this world made right. And John sees this world remade into the world that we have actually never had. You know, philosophers have noticed that humans have this blissful longing. This soul longing. Maybe you've experienced that. I think it's what C.S. Lewis was tapping into in that earlier quote that we're made for another world. Maybe you can relate to some of these. Like You you long for a family that you've never actually had. You you, you long for a body that you've never actually had. You long for a home that you've never had, a a vacation that you've never had. There's all of this soul longing, this blissful longing, philosophers call it, to where it's like we, we have some vision of what's supposed to be. Even though we've never had it, we still think about that. We still are are drawn to that. And philosophers have been quite curious about it all along the way. You are longing for a world you've never had. But John right here says, hang on, that world's coming. Like that's actually what's on the way, is a world like that. It's going to blow you away, everything right, flourishing in every direction. So when when you look at these verses and you read the first seven verses there of chapter 21, is John talking about a place or is John talking about people? And the answer is he's talking about both. At the end of verse 1, he says that the sea was no more. And and we've talked about that before here. You know, we live around lakes and it might be really bad news if there was no sea in the eternal kingdom. That's not what it means. The, The Hebrew understanding of the sea was that the sea was chaotic. That the sea was a place of hideous monsters. In other words, the sea, the sea produced some level of evil or unknown. And John says, that's gone in the eternal kingdom. There's, there's no chaos. There's no evil. There's no hideous monsters. That's not, what the, that's not what the kingdom's like. Later, he says that the holy city, New Jerusalem, is descending from heaven down to earth. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament anticipate this new city. The Bible refers to a heavenly Jerusalem. It would be the ultimate contrast to the cities of the earth as we know it. If you're familiar with the storyline of the book of Revelation, Babylon is a a city that kind of takes on everything about what the city of man is about, what, what the brokenness of this world is about. And what's happening in Revelation 21 is that the new Jerusalem is being contrasted to Babylon. Babylon brings all the wickedness and all the brokenness of the world the new Jerusalem is everything right. And what John sees is that, that, that descending and then purifying and renewing the world. And it says it comes down prepared as a bride. That means beautiful and clean and pure. Reminds us of Ephesians chapter five when we're told that the church is being washed and being purified. That's what we're seeing right here. Is this all coming to bear? And then look at verse three. In that verse, it talks about God dwelling, God, uh, he will dwell, and then he will be with. There's this presence of God, God's dwelling place. He, it's this new Jerusalem and God dwells with his people. So it's a new place and his people are made new. A new earth and a new people. A, pure, a, fuel, a fully a purified world and a fully purified People and when that happens, when that new, new Jerusalem descends, all the broken things will be wiped away, all of it. Verses four and five He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. He said, I'm making all things new. That, 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 that's what He's doing, that's what He's going to do. All the sickness all the suffering, all the death, all the sin. It's all going to be wiped out. But I want you to jump down. And I want you to to read a verse that we didn't read in our scripture reading. Look look, look at verse 8. All this good news, but look at verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all the liars... Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Whoa. Man, the first seven verses are such good news. And you're like, why does, why does verse 8 have to be in there? Like, spoiling my mood. You know, spoiling my vibe. Look, it, it, it actually makes perfect sense. John has something very sobering to say All that brokenness is not only outside of people, it's inside of people. I mean, if you look at that list, it's about as bad, I mean, that that list is really bad, but it's not meant to be comprehensive. The the New Testament includes a few passages like this where there are various sins listed out and they're not identical. the, The point is not that every single sin was mentioned here, every single thing that separates us from, the point is, here's a sampling and I hope you are helped by the variety of things on that list. You know, from murders, sexually immoral, down, down to liars. Other lists include things like bitterness. You know, the Bible at one point in time says if you are guilty in one point of the law, you're guilty of all of it. And what we're realizing here is that when God comes and he is going to wipe the earth clean of all wickedness and all brokenness, when he comes and does that, How in the world could you and I ever stand if the wickedness is in me too? If the wickedness has infected my heart, if the wickedness has infected me. And so when this this cleansing comes, there's a recognition that people are part of what needs to be addressed. Anyone who's guilty of any violation of God's good way is part of what has to be removed. If the new world is going to be what the new world is going to be. As hard as that is to hear, it actually makes sense. Well, those are two very different outcomes, aren't they? One outcome in which everything is made new and God is dwelling with his people. No sorrow, sin, sickness, death. And the other outcome is only death. Eternal death. Eternal separation. Dramatically different outcomes. Well, how do you know which side of that you're on? I mean, let's be honest. We are not very good at discerning truth. Have you heard the conspiracy theories over the last couple years? We are not very good at figuring that stuff out. And we're also quite good at deceiving ourselves. So how do you know which side you're on? Well, Jesus says in verses six and seven, this this is what he says. Jesus says to John, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he will be my son. How do you know which side of this you're on? Well, Jesus in verses 6 and 7 says, here's what you got to do. You got to address your thirst. That's what you got to do. You got to address your thirst. What is Jesus talking about? What, what, What is he talking about? Very, very quickly, back in, in the Gospel of John, John chapter 4, Jesus runs into a lady at a well, and she says, can, can I get you a drink? And Jesus says, no, no, how about I give you a drink? And she thinks he's talking about actual H2O water, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about the water of eternal life. He looks at her basically and says, can I give you a foretaste of the river of life, of the water that flows from the city of God. You know, what does it mean to drink the water of life? Jesus says to this woman, I'll give you a drink and you'll never be thirsty again. What, what does that mean? What does it mean to take a drink of that kind of water that Jesus is offering? What it means is this, that the deepest longings of your soul, that the longing for love, the longing for value, the longing to last... All those deepest longings, all the longings of your soul and your heart, they will be satisfied with that water. They'll be satisfied with drinking from that spring, from that river. And Jesus's point is, even right now, you can get a foretaste of it—the the, the grace of God that is found in that water that only Jesus can give you. Jesus says you can have it, and in verse seven or in verse six, He says without payment, it's free. The same water that Jesus is talking about with the woman at the well, Jesus is now here on the last day saying, look, that's your only hope. That that is your only hope is that you drink from that water, that water of life that only Jesus can offer you. And he'll offer it to you for free. He'll offer it to you without cost. You say, how can that be? Well, because later in the gospel of John, we have Jesus on the cross. And while Jesus is hanging on that cross, he says a couple number, uh, significant things. At one point, Jesus says, I thirst. And I think it was physical thirst, but it was more than that. Because right after he says, I thirst, he screams out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, on the cross, Jesus ran dry so that you and I could have a thirst that is forever quenched. Jesus went to the cross and gave up everything so that you and I could have absolutely everything. And he offers it to you right now. This is the good news of the gospel, that it's offered to you right now. And so is all I can say to you is this. Do you recognize that you're thirsty? Do Do you have that blissful longing? Do you have a soul longing? Do you recognize that it's not right here? You you, you gotta recognize that you're thirsty and then you gotta go to the right place to get the water. We love the phrase around here, all you need is need. And that is exactly what is being said in Revelation 21. All you need is need. Are you thirsty? Will you come ask for the water? Because he'll give it to you and he doesn't charge a thing. He'll give it to you is all you've got to do is see how desperately you need it and that he's the only one that can provide it. Verse six tells us that when Jesus, or that, uh, tells us that when God has done this incredible work of redemption and renewal, that that's it. History's complete. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This is the final chapter of the story. It's the end of the story as we know it. Do you know what the worst case scenario for a Christian is? The worst case scenario for a Christian is eternity in the presence of God, where there is no sin. No sorrow, no sickness, and no death. Only flourishing in every direction. Wholeness. That that is the worst-case scenario. You know, my favorite guy, pastor, author, human, uh, his his name's Tim Keller. He he is in the final stages of pancreatic cancer. And he was recently asked um, uh, in an interview, does he have any advice for younger pastors? And they said, you know, it's a super difficult cultural moment. And Tim Keller's answer to them was, yeah, here's my advice that if you're in Christ, it's all going to be okay in the end. Man, that's a man staring at death and declaring it's all going to be okay in the end. There were a couple times this week as I wrote this sermon that I just sat in my office and cried. I was thinking about some of your stories. I was thinking about some of the losses in my life and just a recognition that that's part of the journey here. But what good news it is that Jesus Christ will satisfy our longings with no, at no payment. He already paid it. He gave it all up so that we could have everything. And if you've run to Christ, then it's gonna be okay in the end. You know, our community groups have been studying a little book called The Prodigal God, written by Tim Keller. And you know how that book ends? That book ends with a picture of what the eternal kingdom's gonna look like. And the picture is a feast where we are all welcomed and gathered at the Father's table, That's what the future looks like. What is the eternal kingdom? Maybe what's the single best snapshot? It's a feast. It's an eternal feast. Where we're in that kind of relationship, we look forward to Thanksgiving in a few days, it's like an eternal Thanksgiving. A feast with perfect harmony. Everything is right. And we come to a small little feast. A bread and a cup. We invite you to come, take that bread and take that cup, uh, even as we close. Our servers will please come. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time. We thank you for this end of the story, such good news, such incredible realities of, of Jesus' work on our behalf. Uh, we thank you that if we are in Christ, then it's all gonna be okay in the end. That this is a, an offer that has no, no bill, no payment, because Jesus has already paid it all. Would you help us to see him more clearly? Would you help us to admit our thirst? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.